It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up, which running back will get a bigger piece of the pie when Dalvin Cook moves on? Plus, the Vikings' long-term vision at quarterback and KOC's biggest obstacles in year two. It's all coming up next on today's edition of the Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition, Football Party, Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network, daily breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings, which you can now find streaming on your Roku or Amazon Fire Stick devices. Just look out for and download our Lockdown Sports Minnesota app there as well. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Sam, first things first, real quick, don't forget this episode. It's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, Sam, OTA number eight of nine today. Just two practices left before minicamp. I know you'll be back out there today. Just in a nutshell, what's been the biggest storyline or biggest change from year one to year two that you can see taking place out on the field this early in the process? Yeah, I, I think objectively, it's obviously the defensive side of the ball. Um, offense is kind of settled in more of a comfort level, I would say, but the change is on defense. That's all anybody can talk about. Uh, our eyes are no longer on okay, what's KOC doing with Kirk Cousins here? Now, we, we, we've seen that for a year. Now it's, what is Brian Flores doing with those safeties? Oh, there's three safeties on the field. Oh, he's oh got Marcus Davenport lining up inside. That, that's where the eyes are going in this, uh, these OTAs so far. I think it's been an intriguing process to watch. And, and honestly, if you look at the deck that Brian Flores has been dealt I'm not sure there's 52 cards in it. I think he's missing some aces. He's missing some kings and jacks. Like, I don't know if he's got a full deck on defense. So how is he going to put together a winning hand with this defense? That, to me, is the most intriguing storyline of this Viking season. It's not quite a 2-7 offsuit starting hand, but really, Sam, I, I don't think it's much better. 8-6 suited, <laughs> diamonds, maybe, something like that. Hoping I do want for to get a straight in... draw. Hoping there you go. Okay, draw. fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I do want to get into some more uh, OTA specifics later on, but let's focus on the running group for a second because CBS Sports came out with an article yesterday reporting kind of what we all assumed, and that was the Vikings and Dolphins had a deal set back in March to send Dalvin Cook back to his home state in Miami. Obviously, that didn't end up happening, but – it gives us more specifics as far as just how serious the team has been from moving on from Dalvin Cook and his services. And it makes sense, right? Like, Quasi is hardcore Mr. Analytics as they come. And in today's day and age of NFL football, there's just no way he's going to justify spending $11 million 
on a running back. You just can't do it. And you look at where KLC came from, too, his pedigree with the Rams. They had a stud running back for all those years in Todd Gurley, and they decided to part ways with him, which at that time, highly controversial as well. They end up rolling with that running back by committee. A few years later, they end up winning the Super Bowl. So it makes sense that both Kwesi and KOC are on board with moving on and just clearing that money from a cap space for a more valuable position. What I want to know, though, Sam, is if and when they do officially move on, what's this four-headed backfield going to look like in 2023? If you had to just take an educated guess, what's this new running back by committee share going to split up into? And what have you seen at OTAs, too, that makes you think that with Dalvin MIA at TCO right now, how these other four guys have been kind of taking the lion's share of the load? So let me ask you this first. Would you like me to lay this out how I would do it or how I think – KOC will do it. Can I have both? How much time we got? Sure. I mean, we got we got no limits. It's a podcast. Uh, I think Madison is going to get the majority. If it were me, it would be a smaller majority than I think it will actually be. I think it will be 60% Madison. I would do it more like 40% because I want to leave room for Ty Chandler. I think Ty Chandler, the the strength that he showed last year in the preseason to run the football hard uh, was awesome. Now, KOC did make an interesting comment last week. He said that, that Chandler was really running on instinct last year. He didn't necessarily know what he was doing, but he was just that good and physically that he was able to kind of bulldoze his way downfield. So he's got to tighten up some of the, the mental part of the game, the pass pro, the vision, knowing which lanes to run through. Um, hopefully in year two that comes. I would love to see him 30% of the time. I think that in reality, it'd probably be more like 20. And then you've got Ken A and McBride. Now we haven't seen McBride Luke yet. He's been on the rehab field um, and we may not see him until training camp. So unfortunately, no glimpses of McBride. We have seen a competition brewing between Chandler and Ken A. Um, I've been a big proponent of Ken A for a while now. I'm not sure why they couldn't find more room for him last year unless they really don't trust him in the passing game, and that could be the case. But for someone of, of his caliber, I would like to see him on the field 15% of the time, McBride 15% of the time. I think in reality, I think they're going to have to choose. Like I think that they'll probably choose one of them to be their RB3, and the other will be scratched. Like, I think McBride could, could kind of be the, Ch the Chandler who gets scratched. He's on the roster, but I think he doesn't suit up. Um, I just think they won't be able to justify having that many running backs, especially when you also have CJ Ham. So I think the reality is like a 60 20 20 between Alexander, Ty Chandler, and we'll say Kenne. Um, I would like to see all of them just because I'm, I'm greedy and I like something about each and every one of them. Um, but I think they're probably going to lean a little harder on Madison because they like his three down game. They like his his pass blocking uh, and his experience and his, uh, you know, his durability. We're totally on the same wavelength. Yeah. Last year, Dalvin and Madison combined for 392 touches between the run and pass game. Cook had 303 touches. Madison with 89. Kenny and Ty had only 17 combined. So with no Dalvin, we've got approximately 300 touches just to divvy up there. And I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure that at least the first two, three, four weeks, 
we're going to see a healthy dose of Alexander Madison for sure. And when it's all said and done, I think he doubles his touches from 90 to about a buck 80 because he's that crafty veteran now. Like you mentioned, coaches know just exactly what they're going to get from him. Solid first and second down kind of in between the tackles bruiser. But a guy who's never really wowed anybody with, you know, the splash plays or the high yards per carry stats. So I'll say he averages about five more touches every game for about 17 games. So he's a little limited as far as his ceiling goes. Then I look at Kenny and I'm with you, Matt. I'm just lost with this kid. I mean, clearly a home run hitter. We've seen the breakaway speed in the return game, but like we saw again last year, for whatever reason, they just refuse to involve this guy into the offensive game plan. And to be totally honest, I just don't see that much changing this year in 2023. Now that you've got two younger backs behind him in Ty Chandler and McBride, and it's actually Ty Chandler, I'm with you, who I'm most intrigued about. I think he's the big wild card because think about it. Kenny was here before KOC showed up, but Ty Chandler is the guy that even with three capable running backs on the roster, KOC saw enough in to invest a fifth-round pick in the guy. And for me, I mean, that speaks volumes. This is O'Connell's guy. He kind of handpicked him and I think has a great shot to end up being the new splash play kind of home run hitter, especially on third downs with Dalvin Cook not in a Vikings uniform. And I think when it's all said and done, Chandler ends up getting serious run in this equation. And of Cook's 300 touches or so, I just gave 90 to Madison, so he's at 180 total. I think Chandler ends up getting close to about 120 touches, honestly, too. And that's right about what you said, about 25, maybe 30%. That would be an ideal scenario, I think, for Ty Chandler. But he's the big wild card, I think. And again, I'm just going off the sheer fact that this is KOC's guy, and there's now a clear path for him to get some serious run and be involved inside the offense that, you know, Kevin O'Connell's going to be drawn up every week. You think he's not going to be like, oh, I got to get my guy Ty Chandler the ball a little bit more here this week. And remember, he's got some juice, too. Coming out of North Carolina, he had some speed. I know everybody assumes who's the speed guy in this backfield. It's Kenne. Ty Chandler, don't sleep on his speed. He's a big play home run hitter if given some real opportunities that leaves me with quick math about 80 90 touches left you got to throw the rest at McBride right I mean he'll probably start slow he's got to learn the nuances of the NFL game he's going to back up Madison as that first and second down runner but it is a rotation and I think he ends up with about 60 or so touches much of which happen in the second half of the season is my guess just because being a rookie, mm -hmm. remember the scouting report coming out, fumbles a little bit, doesn't understand pass protection just because he didn't get the opportunity on passing downs at UAB. So he may start a little bit slow, but I think 60, 70 touches is in the forecast for him, but more so towards the second half of the season. The rest I'll give to Ken Egg, about 20, 30 left. He only had 11 touches last year. Maybe he ends up with about 35, 40. Continues the main role, though, as that special team kind of kickoff return, man. But all said and done, Sam, I think Ty Chandler is the guy nobody's talking about and I wouldn't be shocked in the least bit if he ends up being the biggest winner from a Dalvin Cook departure so I'm glad we're kind of yeah. on the same page with that it's going to be interesting though and quick reminder too with Dalvin Cook June 1st come and gone a trade results in 3.1 dead money but opens up 11 a release That'll end up 5.1 dead, but opens up 9 million. That 2 million guaranteed for his injury is dead cap if cut, but 
that'll go with him if he does get moved in a trade. Next one up here, Sam, it wouldn't be a Tuesday show if we didn't at least mention Kirk Cousins and his future with the Vikings. Don't know if you caught it. Mina Kimes on her show the other day brought this up and said, I think the best move for the Vikings is just to bring back Kirk on a one-year deal because if it's not Kirk, who else is it? You didn't draft anybody. Can't have high expectations for a guy like Jaron Hall drafted in the fifth round. I tend to agree with her, Sam, as much as you know I'm a draft guy. I was all in on maybe going to get Will Levis or Hendon Hooker and just getting someone in here for KOC to start developing for the future, but you can't force it. You can't just take a guy early just to take a guy. Remember, Vikes had every opportunity to draft a guy like Mac Jones a few years ago. They didn't. They could have drafted a guy like Kenny Pickett last year. They didn't. They passed up on, again, Will Levis and Hendon Hooker this year. So they haven't seen enough to pull the trigger on any of these early round guys, which I appreciate them not caving into the pressure of the fan base and the media of just drafting a guy just to draft one. And then there was the rumors, of course, of them falling in love with Bryce Young. But obviously that price was too rich. They could move up next year. It's a loaded class. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Quinn Ewers from Texas, uh, Michael Penix from Washington, the kid from Arkansas, KJ Jefferson. He's going to be really fun. Write that name down. So pending how this year's college season goes for some of those guys, they could have some serious temptations in round one again next year in the 2024 draft. The problem is, like we've discussed, when you're winning eight, nine, ten games every year, you got to mortgage so much of the future to get up in that top ten, let alone top five, where most of these guys are going. And the flip side of this, I think, Sam, is, well, if you move on from Cousins and don't draft a guy – Who's going to be a legitimate upgrade sitting out there in free agency? A Derek Carr type of caliber at most? Does that really move the needle much? Probably not. So what is the Vikings best case scenario here, Sam, when it comes to the current state of the team and finding, I guess, just some security at the quarterback position for the future of this KOC, Quasi kind of era? Yeah, I, th I think that Mina Kimes' suggestion makes all the sense in the world. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'd be surprised if – the Vikings didn't ask cousins about that one year deal and mm -hmm. offer it because why would they accept 28.5 dead next year? Just willingly. Oh yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. We'll take that. No, I mean, I think, I think cousins camp probably wanted a couple of years tacked on, uh, reportedly they offered a quote unquote discount of $40 million per year. Vikings turned that down because they wanted the flexibility in the short term. Um, and maybe Cousins can't decline the one-year offer, assuming that that was proffered. Um, I think we need to be watching the Commanders, Luke. Why do you ask? Why, why are we watching the Washington Commanders? Who cares? They drafted a fifth-round quarterback, and they are making him the guy. Like, clearly, and he barely played last year, clearly they've seen enough where they are willing to entrust Sam Howell with the franchise. Kind of unprecedented. Doesn't happen very often. Like Dak Prescott was thrust in to the starting role as a fourth-round pick after Tony Romo got hurt. That was not planned. Russell Wilson won a competition as a third-round pick. Um, you know, Tom Brady thrust in due to injury. Like, uh, whenever guys that are in the late rounds play, usually... It's because they were forced into action. Washington is rolling the dice on a fifth-round quarterback. So how's that going to work out? 
Is that going to work out well? Because that's a precedent the Vikings could follow if they really like Jaron Hall, which I think they do. I think they like Jaron Hall. What I, the practices this year that we don't see are going to be a proving ground for Jaron Hall going forward to know whether the Vikings feel comfortable trusting him next year if they don't have a high first-round pick, if Kirk Cousins won't accept a one-year extension. I still think that that would be on the table. I think the Vikings would go and say, hey, Kirk, we want you back one year, but Kirk has the right to test the market, and if Kirk wants the the multi-year deal, then by all means, he could go. Um, I think the Vikings are leaving the door open for the fifth-round guy to win the job. That's Uh my gut. Sticking with it. I think the big thing to note, to your point here, great example and shout out to this Washington scenario. Since the CBA has been in effect since 2012, the large majority of Super Bowl teams and even conference championship teams for that matter have all had one thing in common. And that's the fact they've either had an elite quarterback who's in that top five, six, seven range, or they've had a quarterback on a rookie deal that allows them to take that extra money, build a Super Bowl team around them while you're paying your quarterback. You're basically paying him peanuts at that point. Why it's so tough with Cousins, too, is because obviously he isn't in that elite category, but he's also he's too good to ever let you pick in the top 10, top 12 the following year. Even if it was top like 13, 14, at least I'm close enough to be able to trade into the top five. When you're picking late teens, early 20s every year, you got to mortgage so much of the future to get up there. And I wonder how much, Sam, the ownership has to do with these decisions. Doesn't get talked about a lot, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Wilfs were in the background just chirping, saying, we don't want to rebuild. We don't want to start over at quarterback. We actually love the fact we know we'll always be competitive. We'll put fans in the seats with Kirk Cousins, potentially winning us double-digit games every year. And if that's the case, it makes things really difficult, I think, for Quasi to run and operate the whole show the way he feels fit for the long-term future of this team. I will say, though, just as we wrap up, I do love the fact they finally put their foot down, though, and said, okay, even if we bring you back, We're not doing these three-year deals anymore. We're done with that because we got to have the flexibility and can't have our hands tied behind our backs anymore with these quarterback deals. Even if it costs more year by year, the fact that they have the freedom to just bail out whenever they want to is why I think if he does get an extension, it won't be more than another one year, maybe two. I would even still be surprised at two, though, but at the most two-year deal until they do find their long-term replacement in the draft whenever that may be unless that is Jaron Hall and they already got the guy in the roster good point Washington good point all right coming up some OTA updates for you plus history shows first year head coaches with instant success struggle in year two what's that mean for KOC and the Vikes but first quick reminder don't forget we're presented by FanDuel the official sports betting partner of Locked On America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the MLB. Twins taking on the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. Louis Varlin on the mound. Get in on all the action at FanDuel.com slash locked on. And remember, if you're a new customer, try out the no sweat first bet up to $2,500 in bonus bets back if your first bet 
doesn't win. Download the easy-to-use FanDuel app. Get your winnings instantly. Uh, money lines, parlays, prop bets. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire MLB season. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of Locked On. All right, Sam, a great article out today on ESPN by Bill Barnwell. Uh, It talks about the first-year head coaches and the success they had in the NFL and how the majority ended up struggling in year two. In fact, out of the 10 head coaches that had early success in year one over the last decade or so, only three of them made it back to the playoffs in year two. Three out of the 10 head coaches who had early instant success in year one. Here's the list of coaches who flamed out. Chip Kelly, Mike McCoy, Adam Gase, Ben McAdoo, Matt Nagy, and Frank Reich. Jury's still out on our boy Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, so he gets a pass. And then the three that have sustained success, Sean McVay, Nick Sirianni, and Matt LaFleur. First of all, kind of just wild to think about that. That's a long list of names that flamed out after starting out red hot. So it's fair to be concerned about year two of the KOC era. I guess the one good thing, he does come from the Sean McVay tree, which has had a great track record with him with Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. So that's good. But the article goes on to break down the biggest obstacles that could be standing in their way just based off the history and the track record of the coaches who flamed out before him. Let's just go through each one rapid fire, give our quick two cents. First one up, relying on fourth quarter wins. Typically not a great idea for sustained success in this league, and nobody did it more than the Vikes last year. In fact, Kirk Cousins, eight fourth quarter comebacks, most in the league by far. And check this out. Their WPA last season, Sam, a.k.a. win expectancy added in quarters one through three was 1.6, similar to the Broncos and Rams. Their WPA in the fourth quarter, 6.1, not only the best in the NFL in 2022, that was the best fourth quarter WPA since 2009. So basically, they were the Arizona Cardinals for the first three quarters, and then they turned into the 99 Rams for the final 15 minutes. That's absolutely wild. There's no way, I don't care how Homer you are, how much purple Kool-Aid you want to drink, there's no way that's going to come close next year. There's just no chance. So what's a reasonable expectation for them in 2023, Sam? How does KOC kind of sift his way through the fact that he won't be able to rely on all those fourth quarter comebacks again in 2023? One more stat for you from the analytics maven Warren Sharp. Mm Mm-hmm. Point differential in the first three quarters last year. Last place, Arizona at okay. minus, uh, minus 102. Mm-hmm. Second to last, Chicago, worst team in the league, minus 95. Third to last, your Minnesota Vikings, wow. minus 87. These are quarters one, two, and three. Quarters one, two, and three, just wow. kind of similar to what you laid out, the discrepancy between the first three quarters and the fourth quarter. Insane. Absolutely insane. I've been saying this all along. The fourth quarter thing was not sustainable. Um, it was really fun. It was really fun to, to be along for that ride. Probably not going to continue. And Barnwell lays out the stats. Arif Hassan has been a proponent of this for a long time. That almost universally, you are going to regress back to the mean. You're coming back to the pack in in the, the one-score games, the fourth quarter comebacks. They kind of work together. Um, so that that's a problem. And the, the only way to offset that, Luke, is to what? Play better the first three quarters. My gosh, the three and outs, the inefficiency, 
the the long lapses in games where you weren't and you've pointed this out on the show many times the drives averaging like two minutes and 10 seconds. I mean, terrible bottom on to the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, and, and the way, and you, they could Luke, like this offense is equipped to get a lot better, uh, more consistent, more well-versed in the scheme that I've, I've never seen. Like we, we talked on, uh, on Monday's show. Is this the worst Vikings defense you've ever seen? Maybe, maybe not on paper. There've been some pretty bad ones. I've never seen a discrepancy like this where the offense is up here all world potentially. And then the defense is, you know, in the cellar, that's going to be a weird dynamic. Um, is the defense going to be able to get a stop for the offense? I don't know. It's, it's going to be wacky. Yeah. If they won eight come from behind last year, I think, what do you think? Two, maybe three is what's reasonable to expect this year. And like you said, I think how you avoid that difference dismantling your season is you figure out how to win quarters one, two, and three. I mean, it's just not rocket science. You figure out how to run the ball more efficiently and find ways to churn out those long sustained drives outside of just the opening drive like they did so many times. And you brought it up. Vikings offense, as many points as they put up, bottom three in time of possession per drive, bottom three, that still blows my mind. So staying on the field more offensively, keeping your defense fresh, avoiding those three and outs as much as possible is going to be the key to putting yourself in just better position so you don't have to mount so many fourth quarter comebacks. That's why I'm so interested in this new run game this year with not only the running back by committee, but guys like C.J. Ham. Josh Oliver, one of the best run-blocking tight ends in the league they got in free agency. And those two tight end sets KOC wants to draw up and deploy. Um, All right, next one up, relying on wins in close games. Similar to the fourth quarter comebacks in a way. Vikings were historical last year in games decided by eight or less, going 11-0. Unheard of, broke all the records. No team had ever gone 9-0, let alone 11-0. So obviously... That ain't happen again. It's just a fact in this league. There's zero way to sugarcoat this, Sam. Teams that win all their close games the year prior always revert back to the mean the following year. And the stats show they usually hover around 500 in those close games. So knowing that, what can KOC do to be prepared for those close games in 2023, Sam? Yeah, um, I, I think that when your offense is kind of you know, as equipped as they are, I think that bodes well to, you know, make make the final drive at the end of a game, get a game-winning field goal. Greg Joseph, if he can make the kick, you know, might be in that position a few times. That doesn't concern me. I think Kirk Cousins has shattered the stigma of not being a clutch quarterback, to be honest with you. I think he's done enough to kind of, you know, shake that off. I think we can say, yeah, he's... I know he checked down on fourth and eight. Yep. Stop! Stop with the, the the arrows and pitchforks. Put him down. I know, but he's he's demonstrated enough cojones for me to believe in him late in games. The defense, though, they came up with so many big plays. Patrick Peterson's interception in overtime against Buffalo, plus the fumble recovery in regulation against Buffalo, stripping Amir Smith Marset to beat Chicago, um, stripping the Dolphins receiver might have been Waddle. At the end of a game mm-hmm. in Miami, might be forgetting a couple as well. Making big defensive plays over and over and over. Cam Bynum interception to beat the Jets. Forgot about that one. So that to me is what is not sustainable. I don't know. That seems flukier to me 
takeaways are a lot more random than like a, a field goal drive, for instance. So it's the defense that concerns me about winning those close games. Like I, there weren't many instances where the other team came down and countered the Vikings, uh, you know, big, big touchdown drive or field goal drive because the defense kept coming up with plays. I don't know if that's going to happen again. Yeah, a lot of good points. And I'll say this, in all those close games last year, Monday morning, I was the guy shouting, well, this is what they work on in practice, though. Remember, they emphasized the two-minute drills and the game management situation. Yeah. So whatever and your you voice your... sounded like that, too. Your voice yeah, was yeah. all nasally like that. Yeah, whatever you put your focus into during practice all week, <laughs> that's what you're going to thrive in on Sundays, guys. Okay, Arif. Okay, Luke Braun. Figure it out. Remember, we had Blake Brandle on last year. He said this is a priority number one for us all week week is the two minute stuff they had a specific term for it can't remember what they called it but the two minute stuff we feel totally prepared and comfortable going situational into masters Boom. situational masters i want bumper stickers i want hats i want t-shirts okay this is what they focus on and if they focus on that again this year if they build off last year's success how good they were at it last year maybe instead of 500 Maybe they can get closer to 600 winning percentage. And maybe that extra win or two is the difference between sneaking into the playoffs versus staying at home in January. But you can't argue with these numbers, man. I mean, the Vikings will undoubtedly regress back to the mean in this category one way or another, no matter how it happens. All right, last one here. The coaches who struggled in their second year all had one thing in common, Sam. What was it? Uh, uh, below average defenses. Yes. I mean, when you look back at it last year, it was really a miracle. They were even in a position to even come back in so many of those fourth quarter wins. And we've all said the defense can't get any worse. And I get it. They were putrid, but I'm not sure that's ever the case. Like you can always get worse, at least in certain areas. And as much as I love Brian Flores. I'm so jacked to see what he does with this roster. I think he elevates the scheme. I think he puts players in a far better situation to succeed next year. There's only so much you can do, though, with the talent around you. And when you lose guys like Pat P., Kendricks, Dalvin Tomlinson, etc., as a coach, I can only do so much with the scheme. It's still just football, right, at the end of the day. Talk me off the ledge here. Do the Vikings have any shot? of being respectable on defense this year? And if so, where does the production come from? Like, who's the heart and soul of this unit? What's the identity? What's the thing that they're going to be really good at under Brian Flores? What do you think? Crickets. Um, I've suggested that the Vikings should try to be really good against the run. I, Just stack I, and, the and, box, go all in. And, and that that's kind of opposite of what you want to be. Like you'd rather be excellent against the pass mm -hmm. and give up a little against the run. That's a, that's a more of a winning formula. I just don't know if they're capable of being great against the pass. So you got to be good against the run in order to be opportunistic in your pass rush. Um, if, and, and let's be honest, Luke, I don't think there's any amount of miracles Brian Flores could work that could make this secondary into a great secondary. But I think that with your front seven as a unit, you can kind of schematically be good against the run. I don't think that's impossible. Um, so I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that maybe that's a path that could elevate this defense. 
And hey, maybe they can kind of do what the Vikings offense did last year. Maybe they can just be really locked down late in games. Brian Flores can make the adjustments and they can be unsustainable. Like, I will be fine if they are unsustainably good on defense. Like, they might do things that that don't, uh, like last year, making those takeaways in the fourth quarter. Yeah, mm. If they can continue that, th- that's what they have to do. Because um, if they regress to the pack in, like, clutch interceptions, yeah, they're probably going to lose a few extra games. Yeah, to your point, Brian Flores' MO is dialing up, drawing up the fun, creative blitzes on third and long, similar to Mike Zimmer in a way. But the only way you get to third and long is if you stuff that run on first and second down. So even if that means stacking the box, being a liability, leaving some corners out on an island for teams to pass on you, and and if they want to push the ball downfield on first and second down, maybe that's just what it's going to take. There's going to be a little taking give, I think, with this defense. A lot of trial and error, a lot of ups and downs. And I think the most unfortunate thing to realize here is even if the defense improves slightly, they still won't come close to producing the amazing results they saw last year when this team, as a team, won 13 games. I mean, they basically have to, as a defense, jump from dead last all the way up to middle of the pack just to have a shot at running it back with 11, 12, 13 wins again next season, in my opinion anyways. And the biggest gripe right now when I just look at the roster, I look at the depth chart, is this game is still won and lost in the trenches. And this three-man starting rotation I'm looking at with Dean Laurie, Kyrus Tonga, and Harrison Phillips, it just doesn't move the needle for me in the right direction. It really doesn't. I'll tell you another thing. Even if they get Daniil Hunter back, it's still going to be skating on thin ice all season. But if they, for some reason, mm-hmm. can't get a deal done, they are in serious, serious trouble. Like, Code red stuff. Mayday, mayday. Somebody send help. And I know that's been your big thing these last two weeks. Daniil Hunter, contract extension, priority number one. I'm with you. They got to get that man back out on the field sooner than later. I think the strength of this team right now, as weird as it is to say, is that safety and linebacker. When I say team, I'm talking about the defense. Safety and linebacker, maybe their two biggest strengths, I guess, which are probably, unfortunately, the least two valuable positions on defense, whereas defensive line, edge rushers, right? Pass rushers and cover cornerbacks are what typically make an elite defense. Vikings got major question marks at all three spots right now. Unfortunately, I know it's still early. Who knows? Maybe a guy or two progresses, jumps out of nowhere. Maybe Andrew Booth comes out of the weeds and all of a sudden he looks like a great starting corner. But if Flores wants to just deploy the best 11 players, he's got to end up finding a way to not only have three safeties on the field, don't forget about Josh Metellus as well. That guy had a rock-solid season last year and is already picking up where he left off in OTAs from the sound of it. The whole thing, Sam, it's just going to be a major work in progress on that side of the ball. But there you Mm -hmm. have it. Just some interesting tidbits and info on second-year coaches coming off instant success. And I know every team in situation is different. You never know. But the stats in history do say the Vikings and Kevin O'Connell going to have their work cut out for them if they want to come even close to the type of success they had in 2022. All right, last one as we wrap up here, Sam. You're headed out to OTAs here in the next hour or so. Practice number eight of nine before minicamp starts next week. How about just the biggest winner or two of OTAs now that this portion of the season is almost concluded? Like, who's impressed you in your time out there as far as just a guy or two people need to keep in the back of their minds heading into minicamp and this summer break coming up. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll keep trumpeting it from the rooftops. Jalen Naylor yeah. has been great. Um, interesting quote from Keenan McCardell recently. I mentioned this on the Ron Johnson show, and I saw this quote in an interview with Purple Insider that Keenan McCardell intentionally put K.J. Osborne in all of the favorable spots. Like, he lined him up kind of in the Jefferson spots during OTAs two years ago so he could catch a lot of balls and build confidence. Wow. And I think Jalen Naylor is in the exact same spot. Late round pick, didn't really do much his first year, now coming into a a big second year for him. McCardell might be doing the same thing. Let's keep an eye on Jalen Naylor because he has been really showing out, catching a lot of passes. And again, there is no Jefferson. There is no Addison. So he's going against the ones, Luke. This isn't backup city there with that bad Mm -hmm. backup defense. No, he's going against the ones and he's making plays. So Jalen Naylor, I think MVP on offense and uh, the safeties on defense. You you mentioned them. Uh, Josh Metellus making his presence felt with some exotic looks and Lewis seen looking healthy. And to my eye, not even wearing like a sleeve or, or uh, you know, uh, one of those light braces. No, I think he's he's good to go. He's revved up and uh, he's looking like he's healthy. So that is very encouraging for the back end of the secondary. Maybe the biggest surprise and shocker in a good way of OTAs. Lewis seen not only out there, but going full speed. Unbelievable. I mean, just knock on wood. Unbelievable. Such a great quick recovery so far for Lewis Seen. Speaking of Lewis Seen and Jalen Naylor, last one. Biggest sophomore jump from last year's class, the rookies, to year two. Vikings had a loaded class last year. A lot of guys to choose from. Which guy makes the biggest leap from year one to year two? Who do you got? Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler, I like that. You know, Lewis Seen, uh, certainly in the mix. You mentioned Jalen Naylor, Ty Chandler. All those guys, I think, progress and get better and flash a little bit. The only reason I'm not going with them, all of them have competition next to them. A lot of good ones to choose from. I'm going to say Brian Asamoah because linebackers, Mm -hmm. first of all, just do a little bit of everything. So I think he's going to rack up the tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, maybe gets his hands on a few balls. But most importantly, he's going to be on the field all the time. Can't say that for many of these other guys outside of, I guess maybe Lewis Seen. We'll see where Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus end up fitting into the equation as well. Uh, Great stuff per usual, Sam. I know you got to run to OTAs. That's a wrap today. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day. Another episode, football party, one-stop shop breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings. That's Sam Ekstrom. He's on Twitter. Check him out at Sam Ekstrom every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, co-host of the Ron Johnson Show. Thanks for tuning in to the football party, part of the Locked On Sports Minnesota Network. We're back tomorrow with the mailbag edition with Reggie Wilson. But until then, I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman, signing out. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.